Welcome to the Pharmacy Business and Career Network podcast, brought to you by the Pharmacy Guild of Australia. Focusing on pharmacy management and ownership, the PBCN podcast supports the improvement and growth of your business performance with insights and advice from a range of industry professionals. The PBCN podcast, supporting your journey every step of the way. In 2023, once again, pharmacists were on the front line, continuing their amazing commitment and efforts in supporting and caring for their patients and, of course, the wider Australian population. As always, community pharmacies have continued to show that they are ready, able and willing to provide vaccinations and health services to all Australians, as well as to continue to support expert medication advice and management. And once again, this year, we've had the absolute pleasure of welcoming some fantastic guests onto the show who have shared amazing stories, experiences, challenges, insights, and advice. And it speaks volumes for the pharmacy community, whether it was pharmacists themselves finding some time to come on the show because we all know how busy they are, or whether it was those that support pharmacies coming on the show to share and help the pharmacies because they want to support the industry. As regular listeners will know, each show kicks off with a short snippet from a guest which is an interesting part of the conversation to look forward to. And once again, we've gone back through all of the episodes from 2023 and pulled out the full question and full answer for you and put them together into some more best of episodes. As such, you can expect two shows full of short and sharp advice from each of our guests as we look back at 21 shows from the year, those being episodes 116 through to 136. And we will do that across the next two episodes with this one, being our 10th volume of our Best Bits of the PBCN podcast. Let's get started with episode 116, where Vanessa Miles from Transitioning Well and Georgie Chapman from HR Legal join the show to discuss transitioning well to parenthood. Let's switch gear a little and look at another aspect of transitioning to parenthood, and that's the mental health aspect. What should employers be mindful of in terms of making sure expectant employees are safe and looked after as they approach the birth of their baby? There are a few things for employers to be mindful of. Um, We know that the transition to parenthood represents a particularly vulnerable time in terms of mental health for expectant and new parents. Um, This is a time in a person's life when they are most likely to develop a mental health condition for the first time or have a previous mental health condition reoccur or relapse. And in fact, one in five mums and one in 10 dads will experience anxiety or depression at this time. And that includes the period through pregnancy right through to baby's first birthday and potentially beyond that time. So in terms of what workplaces can do here, well, the first opportunity is to help raise awareness of the risks during this period and make sure that people know where to get help. Um, We know that getting help early lessens the severity of the symptoms and it also decreases the duration of those symptoms. So simply making sure that people know about this and where they can get help is a really good start. The next thing that workplaces can do is really step into planning ahead for what will happen when the baby arrives. So particularly around that transition to parental leave. Um, What we heard in our conversations with small business owners through this project is that it's often so busy Um, just keeping the business head above water, um, doing business as usual, that it's all too easy to put this off for later. But by having some of the conversations early on and by doing a bit of the planning up front, you can really reduce some of the pressure, not only on the parent, but on the business as well. 
So it's sort of finding out the key details early on. You know, when is the baby due? What are you thinking in terms of parental leave? How long do you think you might take? Um, are there any other things we need to consider early? The earlier that you can start those conversations, then the more time you have to explore the options and be well prepared for when the time comes. Um, and of course, as we all know, babies tend to work to their own schedule. So although we might all assume that there's plenty of time to sort out the details, sometimes the baby decides um, that's not on and might come a few weeks early. And that really leaves everyone scrambling at the last minute. So that's obviously not ideal for either the parent or the workplace. So it's really good to start this preparation early and to just spend a bit of time planning around the what ifs. You know, if there's a parent who thinks they'll only take a few weeks off when the baby arrives, well, what if you decide you'd like to take longer? And um, what if baby comes sooner than you think? Or what if your baby or your partner are in hospital longer than you expected? You know, what would that look like? And what if your partner is struggling and really needs you at home longer than you thought? So it's really about opening those conversations early with both mums and dads that are in your business so that you have a bit of a head start um, and you're ready to handle some of those unexpected things that happen during this transition. And then finally, there's also a physical aspect to safety when we're thinking about pregnant women. So, of course, in pharmacy, there's a lot of standing, um, talking to customers, there's a lot of lifting and reaching. So there's a real opportunity to take a look at what might need to be considered from a physical standpoint. And that can be really tricky because many parents wouldn't disclose a pregnancy before 12 weeks. So you might not even know that there's any reason to consider some of these aspects. So that then really does come down to creating a culture of openness where your people are comfortable raising issues with you and therefore they might come and disclose early if they need to or at the very least, they might ask for some support, even if they don't explain the reasons behind that. In episode 117, we brought you a recording from the 2022 Tasmanian Pharmacy Conference, which looked at managing the legal implications of unexpected events. So this one wasn't an interview show, and as such, it was a little bit hard to find a clean cut of a snippet for you. As such, let's move to episode 118, where Anthony Tassoni, National Vice President, Health, Economics and Policy, joined us to help make the Guild Digest digestible. And I plan to get into some detail about the Guild Digest, which is a publication that the Guild has published for 50 years now. But first, just to give our listeners a sense of what the Digest is and why we have invested so much time and energy into it for half a century. Can you please just give us an overview in a nutshell about what it is and what it's for? The Guild Digest is a key financial survey of the operations of pharmacies and it serves a few purposes, but primarily it is a key tool of the Pharmacy Guild to help advocate on behalf of community pharmacies when we're negotiating community pharmacy agreements with the federal government and also assessing the impacts of their policies on our profession and our sector. But also what's really useful for business owners is that it is a benchmarking tool to have a look at how your pharmacy stacks up against other pharmacies in your state, uh, and across the country in different metrics, whether it's revenue, dispensary sales, over-the-counter sales, expenses, quite a wide range of things. So it serves quite a few purposes and it's stood the test of time. Tara Diversi, President of Dietitians Australia, joined us in episode 119 to discuss how a dietitian can make a healthy addition to your pharmacy services. Tara, some of the areas that both pharmacists and dietitians are quite familiar with are 
heart health, diabetes, and even mental health areas like depression. Can you talk a bit about whether there would be a benefit to have a dietitian in the pharmacy engaging with patients and staff and how this would help everybody involved? I think having a dietitian in pharmacy is you know, a really great idea, particularly as a community service, but also a good idea for ensuring that people are worked with to talk about their, their goals from a different perspective rather than just medication and or they're worked with to support to take that medication. So particularly around signs and symptoms, for example, when we look at things like PTSD, we know when people take antipsychotic medication, they can put on up to 20 kilograms of weight if they don't have support. But having a dietitian involved at the very beginning when they're prescribed the medication can reduce that dramatically. And they're not going to lose weight from what the evidence shows, but they can maintain their weight, maintain their health, and they remain on their medications. When we look at supplementation to support vitamins, minerals, and then other new supplementation, looking at the evidence base behind what they should be taking, when they should be taking, how they should be taking it, and how it interacts with food and with their other medication can be also very important from a, from a point of view of getting the most out of their health. So that's important for people with chronic diseases, but also with taking other medication like things like your antibiotics. You know, we have this, this ongoing um, advice and, and it's, you know, it's one of those things that we, we do see where some of the education is coming from the companies that are providing things like vitamin, mineral, probiotic, supplementation, all of those types of things types of um, groups and that can be you know a bit of a conflict it can be misleading and you might not be giving your patients the right advice that they do need to actually get the outcome that they're looking for yes it would be great but it might not be the outcome that they're looking for from that specific product or they may need to take much more or much less than the dose that's on on the side of the packet similar to where personalized medicine is going personalized nutrition is one of the things that i think is going to really change the game of health so those general principles around healthy eating have certainly not moved very much. But what we understand from a personalization point of view, so eating for your genetics, eating for your microbiome, eating specifically for your cultural background, really has changed over the last few years. And it's something that a dietitian can help your patients assess and then provide what is the right diet for their personal situation and sometimes that may be the diet or the eating pattern that they can comply with that suits their lifestyle, that fits in with their lifestyle, rather than what everything else says should be they should be eating or they shouldn't be eating. Episode 120 came to you from the Australian Pharmacy Professional Conference, which was held on the Gold Coast from the 23rd to the 26th of March. Our National President, Professor Trent Toomey, took the opportunity to speak to Minister for Health and Aged Care, the Honourable Mark Butler, and also Shadow Minister for Health and Aged Care, Senator, the Honourable Anne Rustin. So just now, our, our final question, I want to look to the future because we got to spend some great time in this room, actually, with the future of pharmacy, uh, our pharmacy students. But um, what did you hear from them that um, was of specific interest to you? I heard a blend, as I, as I do really, across the sector. Um, enormous excitement at the idea of working as an Australian health professional, uh, particularly as a pharmacist. Like if you looked around the table, they were all really keen to, to work in community pharmacy, maybe some will go into hospital pharmacy, 
Uh, but uh, you'll get them back. You'll get, you'll get them back. They'll bring them people can, but, 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 but really, really keen to do it. But, but you know, on the side of challenge, uh, I guess, um, you know, they want, to, they want to be recognised for the training they do. They want to be recognised in terms of their wage. Uh, they want to be recognised in terms of their ability to put that training into practice mm -hmm. through 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 the scope debate that we've been having. And uh, you know, I think it's it's really important, um, as I said, out in the hall, that that that's really at a time where we're struggling to get the number of healthcare professionals right across the sector that we are going to need for a population that's growing faster than any other developed economy that is ageing through the ageing of the baby boomers and has more complex chronic disease, let alone the sort of legacy of COVID. We need more enthusiastic young people like the groups that you and I met with earlier to choose to become healthcare professionals, whether that's a nurse or a doctor or a pharmacist or a physio. Um, we need more of them and we need to reward them properly, both in terms of recognising the skills they've accumulated and learned at university uh, but also in terms of their wages. Mm. And, and, you know, the Guild agrees with them. We just need to work with you on sequencing things like the doctor and pharmacy clause, mm. the national consistent rollout of physical practice, and inevitably then a work value claim will come because it'll be back on a genuine change of scope and a genuine increase of productivity. But we just need the sequencing right. Of course, and we've and we've we've done that work in other sectors as well. Most recently, being aged care, but but in the area I've been involved in for for uh, longer than I'll care to remember. Thinking on going back to the nurses' professional rates case, um, you know, as as the qualifications of our healthcare professionals have increased and developed over the decades, it's important that first of all you're allowed to actually put into practice what you've learned, but also that you be paid properly for that. Always a popular episode each year is when we get to catch up with the winner of the Pharmacy of the Year. And this year, the award went to the very deserving Pharmacy 777 Shoalwater and Sam Afsar joined us to take us inside their business. The changes that you've made have had a significant positive impact on your community. We spoke earlier about how you engaged with the community during the change program and when you were designing it. And they were very vocal in helping design the changes and, and giving you ideas and feedback. So it'd be great to hear you talk about what some of the feedback you have received post the changes from your patients. So I'll give you one example. We we didn't do a lot in this integrative health space before and that was that was highlighted. So we sort of headhunted and um, and we actually have a pharmacist who's the only pharmacist inside Australia um, who who has actually done a fellowship course in the uh, in the in the ACNAM field. So um, one of the patients who's been sort of suffering from vertigo for over three years, she saw our pharmacist for um, over four consults, and and she and she over and she, and she actually overcame the problem. And her GP actually rang us to say what was done for her because um, she's actually overcome the like the vertigo problem that he's been trying to treat for over two or three years. And he then sent us two of his other patients. So that's probably a that probably sort of summarizes the whole journey for us of one service which is outside of the stream of the things that's been highlighted during the pharmacy of the year journey, um, and how even that has actually impacted someone's health. Um, and even um, so, one of the other guys uh, uh, who I must mention, I can't say his name obviously, but um, his uh, his journey when it comes to his his energy levels, his sleep, like he, he used to just come in by multivitamins and. After a few few conversations, we found out it was actually um, it was actually sleep disorders. 
So he ended up having severe obstructive sleep apnea, which we then helped him address. Um, and then some of the other different integrative health issues that he had, um, so specific to the gut. Once he overcame those little challenges, he drives about 20 minutes to come to our pharmacy, uh, coming past 10 to 15 pharmacies easily, uh, probably more, but he won't go anywhere else. He would only, only ever come to us. And um, I think in the transplant field is probably the is is the actually actually third example I'll give third and last and like like uh, you know we have a patient that actually drives thirty minutes to come to us because we dress their so transplant wound um, in the in the in the seven week mark when he first came out of the hospital and it was a small thing that we did for him but he was so grateful that um, he doesn't go anywhere else. We took a look at some of the key issues that are likely to shape the future workforce of pharmacy with Pharmacy Guild National Councillor Helen O'Byrne in episode 122. We're bringing you a session that was held at the Australian Pharmacy Professionals Conference at the Gold Coast from the 23rd to the 26th of March 2023. In this session, Helen O'Byrne, Pharmacy Guild National Councillor, looked at some of the key issues that are likely to shape the future of workforce pharmacy. Key influences in the future workforce include our university sector and the structure of the pharmacy degree, remuneration levels for pharmacists, pharmacy viability via community pharmacy agreement remuneration, the capacity that pharmacists practice at full scope and its associated remuneration, and the degree to which enablers like IT service providers, for example, assist pharmacy operations. So pharmacists in the future will be doing more stuff. We'll be, uh, if it relates to medicines, we'll be doing it. Uh, we'll have a role in prescribing, in de-prescribing, dispensing, administering and reviewing medicines. Pharmacists will be working to the full scope of their practice. Pharmacists will be present in more places, not just in hospitals, but as outreach pharmacists from community pharmacy and residential care homes, in patients' homes, in emergency and urgent care centres, in hospices, in medical practices, in transitions of care and anywhere where therapeutic decisions and medicine choices are made. They'll be using their clinical knowledge to the full. Expect to see pharmacists advising on medication use in emerging areas of therapeutics, the use of biological medicines, pharmacogenomics, customised medicines, antimicrobial resistance, responsible prescribing, medication monitoring, pharmacovigilance, health informatics, artificial intelligence, the treatment of old and new infectious diseases and in the therapeutics of climate change. And this won't just happen in hospitals and clinics. Providing expertise on medicines use will happen in the community setting. Community pharmacy is a clinical environment. They'll be working in professionally satisfying roles, using their clinical knowledge in every setting that they work and making an even greater contribution to the health of Australians. And they'll be recognised for, for their expertise, recognised through changes in legislation and regulations, recognised through participation in interdisciplinary teams, recognised through full integration into digital information systems, such as My Health Record, and recognised through programs and funding for our services at last. In episode 123, we heard all about the huge challenge that Alexander Look and his business partner, Nicholas, took on when they bought Oyen Pharmacy, which is in a town of just 1,000 people. I just want to circle back around to your comment that you made earlier, that you and Nicholas, when you were considering buying the business, 
that you saw that there were opportunities for growth within the business. Some people listening might be thinking, hang on, there's only about a thousand people in the town. What growth could there possibly be in a business like that? Share with us what you saw in the business before you decided to purchase it. One of the major areas of growth that we saw was the dispensing side of the business. So uh, particularly in terms of the efficiency of of stock management, unfortunately, there just wasn't a lot of stock on the shelves to sell to begin with. So it meant that patients weren't able to, that there wasn't enough uh, Panadol or antihistamines on the shelf, for example, that there'd be people coming in every day and that one box on the shelf had been sold and the next person would miss out. So we saw a real opportunity that if we increase the amount of stock that we'd be able to increase the amount of patients that we're servicing. Um, and also we looked at the different types of clinical services. So as a local rural health service that is exclusively run by locums, locum GPs, we identified that there was good scope to do things like medication reviews, sleep apnea treatments and diagnostics, as well as vaccinations. So we implemented those when there was no service there previously within the pharmacy and it has led to quite exceptional growth. And now patients actually see us as a health destination. We have other health providers come within the pharmacies. We have pathology, which operates five days a week within the pharmacy. People come to get their blood tests done. We've got nurse practitioners come for skin checks. We've got the ambulance from Ambulance Victoria come to do heart health checks every single month. So it's a range of other health services which make the community or make the community aware that we're a health destination and that we can solve more things than just medications. Nipping it in the bud, tools for dealing with workplace issues was the focus of episode 124 and we were guided and educated in that episode by James Judge. And what are some of those important lessons that you've learned from them about people management? You, oh, look, anything I could say, um, it's it, the most unsuitable people keep getting promoted into people management positions. Uh, but I guess some really basic tips uh, have robust yet simple to follow policies and procedures. Uh, so I talk about, you know, the ABC of writing policies and, and sort of people procedures, accurate, brief and clear. It doesn't stop there though. So. I've seen HR departments in large organisations, they spend a lot of time on updating policies and procedures. That's kind of the start. That's the template. Some other points I'd say, because I do work with organisations where there's conflicts or there's, there's issues, um, interpersonal issues, intervene early. So don't let problems fester. Um, you, I mean, you're, you're, say you're a busy pharmacist and you're running a, a pharmacy, or maybe a number of pharmacies, you kind of think maybe the people problem will resolve itself. Uh, it generally doesn't. So intervene early uh, and you've got to keep at it. So if you want to create a workplace where people want to come to work, they're engaged, they're motivated, uh, it's a learning culture, it's, it's not a one-off. It's not something you do and then move on to the next thing and come back to it in six months' time. In episode 125, we replayed a PBCN webinar which focused on making sure your pharmacy was prepared for tax season. 
And we heard from Emma Brown, principal at RSM, who helps simplify and demystify tax processes to help maximise returns. Among a myriad of helpful tips and tricks for tax time, Emma also covers areas of focus for the tax office so you can maintain compliance and take advantage of available concessions. We're not specifically focusing on your pharmacy business here. We're kind of looking at the overall picture. So some of you might have, you know, broader structures with personal passive investment side of things as well as yourselves personally. So um, a lot of the ATO focus areas this year are more on that personal side of things. So a big focus area is capital gains tax. Um, in particular, the ATR highlighting disposal of shares, crypto, managed investments and investment properties. Um, so just being mindful that there's a lot of data sharing these days. The ATO can see a lot of the times when you have disposed of things. So making sure that you're including all the proper information in your tax returns, you've got all your um, documentation on file to support any cost-based information and, and CGT calculations as well. Kind of putting your pharmacy lens on that, we are still seeing a lot of transactions and, and sales in the in the industry as well. Um, so depending on how you're structured, there are a lot of um, small business CGT concessions and rollover relief that may be available to you if you are selling your, your pharmacy business. So just keeping in mind that as the ATO are focusing on CGT, really being mindful of going through that proper due diligence process with your accountants and your lawyers um, just to make sure that you definitely are eligible to pass any of these relief concessions and you've got all your um, kind of paperwork ready to go. And finally, in part one of our best of 2023 episodes, we heard from Lucinda Marks at Capital Chemist in Corwell in the ACT about how they go about nurturing pharmacy staff in episode 126. It's important, obviously, those sorts of things to help take care of your patients, but it's just as important to take care of your staff so that they can actually take care of the patients. It's a, a symbiotic relationship, so to speak. You catch up with your staff members individually every month. Some of the things you ask your staff about are things such as pain points in the workplace, what they want to learn, and maybe some things about what they want to change in the workplace. Could you talk a bit about why you feel this is an important thing to do, not just for the staff, but also what you personally have learnt from doing it? We found these catch-ups really crucial. And, and as much as I don't think the staff, I, I know they kind of groan a little bit when we tell them that we're going to be doing these catch-ups because, you know, they all tell us we're really happy. We don't need to catch up. We tell you if there's any problems, et cetera, et cetera, you know. But it's funny when you sit one-on-one -on -one with somebody for half an hour and, and you can sort of really niggle down to the things that might might be affecting their workflow and it's funny because they all say they're all happy and nothing needs to change but we have a set of structured questions that we go through which are strategically asking them in a couple of different ways the same sort of thing and it's amazing what you can actually get out of them and help them by asking them these questions over and over in a different way so yeah and that, and that stops us kind of just sitting there for half an hour catching up or staring at each other and and we've learned that these these pain points can be really easily fixed from these conversations and if it weren't for these one-on-ones the staff would continue to work in you know semi-suboptimal conditions or you know something that's so easy for example like we have a um, an exemplary webster packing service and i say that because we've touch wood in the past three ish plus more years that we've been doing it we haven't had anything go wrong 
So we have a pharmacist. So traditionally in pharmacy, you'd have a couple of pharmacists that kind of know what's going on and would have their hands in this service, but we only have one that manages the whole thing. And she would have to take phone calls and get back onto the floor to put the phone away. So in these meetings, we, we, we found that out and it was really easy to fix. I bought a new phone, put it out the back with her, and it's really, really improved her workflow. And then she can get back to sort of doing what it is that she does best. So we we have so many examples like this, and, and, and that's just a small one, but we really like these one-on-ones to encourage staff to also let us know, not during, like it doesn't have to just be in these one-on-ones, to tell us if they need something to make their job easier. That's a wrap for Volume 10 of the Best Bits of the PBCM podcast, which was part one of our two-part look back at 2023. I've been your host, Daniel Oyston, and it's been a pleasure and fantastic having you join me to revisit some of the amazing stories, experiences, insights, of course, the challenges and the advice from our guests. And once again, thank you to everybody who came on the show to make these episodes happen. I know we are all truly grateful that they found some time in what is, of course, their busy schedule to come on the show. The Guild is dedicated to supporting members and the Community Pharmacy Network with tools, resources, and information to assist businesses and career growth and improvement. So for more information, please contact your local Guild branch and visit the Guild website at guild.org.au. And I look forward to you joining us for volume 11 of the Best Bits of the PBCM podcast, which will be part two of our look back at 2023. But for now, you've been listening to episode 137 of the PBCM podcast. The PBCN Podcast, supporting your journey every step of the way. For more resources, to access support or advice, or to view this episode's show notes, visit guild.org.au.